0: Hi there, church family. It's good to be with you today with our midweek recap of the sermon this past week. We were in Psalm 84, not Psalm 85. I know I said we'd be in Psalm 85, but uh, switched it up. I <clears throat> thought it was a, a good bookend to how we started the sermon series in Psalm 42 and, and 43 uh, with this longing to be in the house of God, and that's reflected in Psalm 84 uh, as well. This, again, is uh, a song of the sons of Korah, so we're still in that. There's a few more psalms that we won't do, uh, but that come in that line, songs of the sons of Korah. Uh, so you can read those on your own. 85 is one of those, and so you can look at that if you, if you would like to. Uh, but next week we'll be starting a, a new series on, on worship, uh, getting out of the psalms, because whether you like it or not, it's Sunday. It's September. It's going to be September. Yep. Summer's over. And back to school time and all that all that
1: jazz. <laughs> so
2: that's what's happening. Scott's so, excited about it. <laughs> My whole family's excited. My boys have been asking, when is it gonna get cold again? What? What's serious? Cold. Yeah. Tell them it'll be we like it. <laughs> it's great. Say soon <laughs> enough and for a long time. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I, mean, I am I've not lived here that long. So <laughs>
0: <laughs> Yeah. It's coming. All right. Psalm eighty four is where we found ourselves. And uh kind of read it in in sections there. Uh, I don't know. How should I do this today? Should I read, read it? Read some of it. Psalm 84. Uh, like I said, broken into sections. Read verse 1 and 2. First, how lovely is your dwelling place, O Lord of hosts. My soul longs, yes, faints for the courts of the Lord. My heart and flesh sing for joy to the living God. Am I boring you, Scott? We could all hear that big yawn that mm. you just did in the Ooh. microphone. <laughs> Monday morning. <laughs> Monday I'm sorry, Monday scripture is so boring on. to you. Oh, oh, wow. oh, I
1: apologize. Yeah. This is going to be great. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> here we go. Buckle up, boy. <laughs> well, oh, maybe you should read a judgment psalm for Scott <laughs> yeah. coming up here. You know what I mean? Like, <laughs> psalm. says God first. Yeah.
0: There you go. Oh, uh, okay. So there is a good comparison between Psalm 42 and 43 and Psalm 84. And so some of the questions that I'd asked in Psalm 42, just of us to think about as we go through it, are the same kind of questions that we can think about in Psalm 84. So this psalmist, whoever it is, David or whoever, is obviously away for some reason from Jerusalem and from the temple and being able to to worship God and so they are reflecting on what it is like to do that but also they are they are feeling an absence from it they're they're missing that opportunity and it's not to say that they have this belief that they can't pray or worship God on their own or that God doesn't hear them unless they're in the temple it's just that they know that God had established the temple and that God resided in the temple in the holy of holies right and so there was this specialness to being able to worship with the people of God who are part of the kingdom of God there where God resides and and there was just this great longing and so as the psalmist here is reflecting on this he ascribes to the dwelling place of God as a place that is that is lovely and it's interesting that he the 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 phrase that he uses to speak of God is the lord of hosts like a commander like a general of armies which you don't normally think of as lovely Right, That's not, the, not how you would describe as as lovely, but that's how the, the psalmist does. But it's because of what kind of the rest of the psalm will talk about a lot is protection and security that comes from from God uh, f- for his people, for the people of God. And so the psalmist is saying how he just longs so much to be in the courts of the Lord and um, so that he can be singing with joy uh, to to God, and again, there's this idea of being with the people of God. Psalm forty two and forty three had a lot of that, like parading to the to the temple uh, together and and singing. And in these first first two and in other ones, I think it does kind of make us think about how we reflect on being able to worship God together and meet with God together. Now, the temple is is no more, right? We believe there's no need for it. Uh, scripture tells us that we are the temple, that the, that the Spirit lives within us as believers. And the Word tells us to gather together and to worship together the true and living God together. And that doesn't necessarily mean, well, I guess it kind of does. It means a particular place because when you gather, you're going to gather somewhere somewhere. Uh, wherever that might be, but the the building or the location isn't what's special. What's special is the body of Christ coming together to worship the one to whom they serve and who they love, God, right? And so I think one of the questions that we can reflect on is how often do we feel in any way, shape, or form similar to what the psalmist is saying here, you know, how lovely it is to to go to your house and to worship you, right? With, with your people. Uh, but I I don't know about you guys. You guys are probably much more holy and special and righteous than me for sure. But I don't feel that way all the time.
1: Well, I think, I mean, yeah, definitely our, our subjective feelings go back and forth. Mm -hmm. Um, but what this Psalm does is, and what you, you kind of brought that, you brought this out throughout the preaching is the Psalmist, um, tells us not simply how he's uh, his response where he says how lovely is your dwelling place but that's not simply his um, feelings toward the temple but he's actually describing what the temple is and so similarly whenever we we think about this you know for instance why is why does he feel this way well he points us out well the the temple is a place of refuge Mm -hmm. it's a place of safety from for even the sparrow um, it's a, it's a lovely place. It's, a elsewhere in the Psalms, uh, the Psalmist says, I want to gaze upon the beauty of, of your temple, mm-hmm. of your dwelling place, of the place where the Lord dwells. And so I think, um, uh, the biggest problem is, is that we forget and we don't notice the beauty of the Lord in, in the congregation of the saints, um, As you pointed out, one of the things that we we make a distinction of is the fact that, yes, God is present everywhere. He's God. He is infinite. So God can't be—he's always present, but his manifest presence, by which he manifests himself to us, is— of course, through is always through His Word, and especially whenever the corporate reality is gathered together. So He is He did that in the Old Testament temple, and similarly, whenever we gather together as church, as a corporate reality, God manifests Himself to us through the reading of the Word, through the preaching of the Word, through the singing of the Word, addressing one another. Um, um, in Psalms and hymns and spiritual songs and through prayer, God is manifesting himself to us. And, and maybe the reason why we don't think churches, uh, be so exciting is because we have forgotten the loveliness of God in the first place. Um, we have forgotten his beauty and because he's the one that makes the congregation beautiful. Um, it's his light in his light, we see light. And so, um, I think it's a good reminder to us of a convicting reminder and then a reminder also to look back outside of ourselves at the Lord's dwelling place. Mm
0: -hmm. Yeah. And loveliness and beauty isn't always exciting. You know, if you, if you dwell in a place that is beautiful, it's not that it's exciting, but it doesn't change its beauty because it's not exciting. Right. Yeah. So it's not necessarily the excitement that comes with gathering with the people of God. It's the fact that we're gathering with the people of God under the beauty mm-hmm. of God and reflecting on that and what that means,
1: right? Well, right, and you, is important. And you brought up the fact that He's the Lord of Hosts. Yeah, um, right. I used to one of the one of the things in the past I used to describe this is He's the superpower God. Yeah, um, yeah. he he yeah. is the Lord of Almighty Power. Mm-hmm. So whenever you're coming to church, you're coming to the one who is the superpower God. You're not just, this is why, like I was just reading Ezekiel this morning, whenever the Lord's presence shows up and he comes from the north and he comes out of a stormy wind, Ezekiel falls on his face. Mm-hmm. And so I just saying like, that's, that's, that to me is, um, not like that, that is, that is exciting
3: mm-hmm.
1: because this isn't just, this is the superpower God. And like later on in the same verse, he's the living God. He's not a dead God. He's not the God of the idols. He's the the one who is the the source of every blessing. He is life itself. And so, I mean, those things, that's that's exciting stuff. Then whenever you start meditating upon that, um, yeah. those truths about who God is and what this passage is teaching us.
0: You mentioned verse three and four, Spencer, when you talked about the sparrow or the swallow. It was interesting in the commentaries that I read. I wish I could remember which ones were which at this point, but I, I don't. Uh, many people had no problem saying uh, this is pointing to the fact that no doubt there were birds in the, Mm. in the temple. It was open, right? There was an open part, and so you would see these birds, but there were some you could tell were just little more fuddy duddies. That would never be allowed. This does not mean there were birds <laughs> like in the temple. <laughs> we have we have
2: birds in mire.
1: <laughs> uh, yeah, right. Birds can get in mire. They can get in the temple. Yeah. It was just funny
2: reading. Uh, uh, I'm like, no, that wouldn't happen. Well, it can't yeah. mean that. <laughs> like, oh, <yeah. laughs>
1: okay. That brings up a good question. Now, if there was a bird's nest outside on the gutter, would you guys knock it down? No. Or we've yeah. I'd yeah.
0: let it go if there are birds <laughs> in it. Scott. We had That's one at Scott. youth camp, remember, right by the girls' uh, dorm room? Do you remember that? Yeah.
2: Then we'd let them go. We'd let them stay. We didn't this knock it the youth down. Camp, well, there right? was a sign that said, don't do it. Yeah. Oh, really? They put signs up in the temple? The little girls did. <laughs> oh. Scott would have been out there with a broomstick.
1: No, the sparrow doesn't find a home.
2: <laughs> I mean, these aren't sparrows, they're robins. <laughs> yeah, around here. But... Oh,
0: boy. It does show in verses 3 and 4 because um, sparrows and swallows are insignificant. Uh, I mean, Jesus even used this in the Gospels, right? Uh, Talking about the insignificant. And if if God cares about this one, he would say, this sparrow, how much more do you think he cares about Mm -hmm. you, right? Mm -hmm. And, And so the insignificance here of this bird, but yet this picture of this bird finding its home in its nest right by the altar of God, right right where sacrifices are made you know right right where forgiveness is found and here's these insignificant birds just raising their young and feeding their young and then sending them sending them off and, and it seems as if the psalmist is reflecting on this and just realizing how all are kind of welcome here even the insignificant mm-hmm. find a place in the in the house of God they're part of the the kingdom of God and, and again that adds to the to the beauty to The mm-hmm. beauty of it, mm-hmm. you have this insignificant sparrow, and again, he, he says, At your altars, O Lord of hosts, as Spencer said, the superpower God, mm-hmm. the little sparrow is allowed to come by.
1: You see this in the gospels again, whenever Jesus welcomes the little children to himself. Mm-hmm. Because, Jesus, I think sometimes we we still read the Bible with, um, sometimes with uh, the heretic in the old, then the early church Marcion, who divided the old and the new testaments. We sometimes have that image. I think sometimes even in the Bible, but it's remi- it's important to be reminded that Jesus there is the consuming fire of the Old Testament, now welcoming the little children to sit on his lap in a tender way. Like mm-hmm. that is that is the Lord of Hosts, the superpower God, welcoming the insignif- seemingly insignificant ones to come into his presence and to dwell with him, and to say, "This is for them just as much as for any adult." Mm-hmm. And that's a very visual um, uh, reality of what what he's doing there. He's reminding us uh, similarly here that you can come. This, This God is so powerful. And holy, and yet he also is so tender mm-hmm. and compassionate, infinitely compassionate yeah. to us.
3: And it's interesting that the sparrows find a home and the swallow the nest. So there is a, a, a sense of welcoming that they, of course, they didn't have volition to say, hey, should we go to the temple or should we go over here? It was more instinct, mm-hmm. but nevertheless. And I think that the psalmist makes a parallel. My saw long. My soul longs, yes, faints for the courts of the Lord, and there is that sense that when we when we behold the beauty of the Lord and we we really desire to be with with God and His people, that we should have that longing, just like a sparrow or a swallow would want to go and build its nest and find that refuge and safety. So we can find that safety and refuge here within God's house. You know that that is with God's people, and I think that's a really beautiful. I think poetic too, beautiful parallel with our longing to be with with God and his people as just like the birds along to build their nest in a safe place. So, mm-hmm. yeah.
2: I was thinking, um, like as you pointed out, Spencer, that in the New Testament, Jesus welcoming the little children to him and this image of the sparrow, something so lowly, you know, that's not even usually considered or sometimes swatted away, finds a home here. And it just makes me think of like the humble are welcome here. Like mm-hmm. all those who are humble are welcome into this place. And w- those who are lowly and contrite and um, makes me think of like the widow bringing the offering or going to the temple to pray a sinner. Um, but it's, I, I wonder if there's like some kind of connection between the one who is humble and lowly being glad and rejoicing that they are welcomed into mm-hmm. the temple mm-hmm. And if that, if there's a connection between that and a desire to be in the temple,
1: yeah, like
2: it was talking about there in verse two, about your soul longing and faint, because right. one who's prideful and boastful and doesn't think they need the right. Lord or thinks that this is just another ordinary place for them to go and be, right. mm-hmm. it's not seen as something special to them. Yep.
1: Right. Um, well, no, you're, ex- I think you're onto something there because the temple was specifically f- to give grace. Mm-hmm. to where the God of grace dwelt, the God of holiness and grace. So if you don't think you need grace, well, yeah, the temple is not going to be lovely.
3: Yeah, mm-hmm. it's not going to be yeah. wonderful to
1: <laughs> yeah. you. Yeah, exactly. you're not going to faint for it because you're full already. Mm-hmm.
3: Mm-hmm. And, and God's people longing to be come to worship and be in God's house is an evidence of grace, that there is, it's not like you said, it's not like, oh, well, should we have to go to, you know, should we have, to, oh, we should probably go to church, you know, check off the mm-hmm. to-do list, you know, but rather a longing I, I need I get this. to come here? Right, yeah. Right. It's a, it's, right. That's an evidence of grace. Right, so. right.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah, but the problem would be that we don't find our fill in the things of God. Too often we try to find our fill in the things of this world. right mm-hmm. And that's why then gathering together isn't a beautiful thing. It mm-hmm. becomes a, a checklist thing. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I think we all find out that as we try to fill ourselves with the things of this world, it just isn't filling or it's exhausting. And it's, and it's draining to try to keep up, to try to get that next high, you know, to try to get that next whatever it is that brings some sort of satisfaction in our life. and eventually we run out. Mm. Um, but that's why Jesus would call himself you know, the, the river of life, the drink that satisfies forever. Yeah. Yep. And there, those who understand that then have this desire to, to be with him and to be with his people and to do the things that he's that he's called them to do. The psalmist moves on in verses five through seven and really talks about the comfort of God's house, <coughs> kind of pictures this journey of heading to the temple. And he says, you know, blessed are those whose strength is in you, whose heart are in the highways to Zion, just always thinking about Zion, thinking about the city of God, you know, whose heart is really in it as we kind of been talking about it, that even though they go through the Valley of Baca, which is. They say it was a place like it that would have been dry or barren. It's weeping. Um, some say it would refer to maybe like mulberry trees or, or balsam trees, some sort of like a, a weeping tree. Uh, some people would say this was a real place maybe on the way to Jerusalem. Some say no, probably not a real place. It's more metaphorical. Uh, but again, it's it, it would be a tough spot, but you had to go through it in order to get to the temple in order to get to, to Zion is the thought, but it's saying people whose minds are set on getting to the beauty of the temple, going to that place to worship, even when they go through this valley of dryness, of difficulty, of weeping, whatever it might be, it becomes like a place of springs. It's, it's no trouble to them to do that. It's well worth it uh, to go, to go through this uh, in that, in that moment. And they just build strength from it. Kind of similar to the messages, the past couple Sunday nights about Christ's suffering and, and how we then deal with suffering and we see how God uses suffering really to strengthen us in our walk with him. And and so as these people go through this difficulty to get to the temple, it really just strengthens them in their resolve to, I'm going, I'm getting there no matter what, no matter what happens because I want to be there. I want to go and, and worship God uh, in this place. And again, you just see the parallels with us, you know, of how easy it is for us to get to church, how easy it is for us to meet with Christians, but yet... I don't know. We act like it's the Valley of Baca to, to get here. <laughs> you know, uh, we act like it's just no. that's <laughs>
1: funny. You're right. Because we think of the church as the Valley of Baca and the world <laughs> is the place with the springs. Yeah. Mm, yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah, no, I, you mentioned the river and, um, earlier in Psalm 46 verse four, it says there is a river mm-hmm. whose streams make glad the city of God, the holy habitation of the most high. Mm-hmm. And, um, and uh, there's that that beautiful song that the Gettys have. Uh, are you thirsty? Are you empty? Come and drink these living waters, and um, that's really what is happening here. But it takes it takes people. Uh, first of all, this is why the preaching of the law is so important, because you have to realize you have to, the law creates a thirst, because we realize we are condemned, and we need the living water. We need. We are sinners, condemned, and hopeless, and so. We we need the living water that is that is flowing here uh, whenever God's people are together and Christ is present, um, and that makes that makes this place a rejuvenating uh, place um, to help us. So the
0: psalmist in verse eight and nine kind of shifts directions a little bit, and there's a prayer here it says, Oh Lord God of hosts, hear my prayer. Give ear, O God of Jacob. Behold our shield, O God. Look on the face of your anointed." And so there's a prayer here for the king uh of israel a a blessing look on him protect him right Uh, be with him and again if the king is going good then the people are going good that's at least if the king is a good king that's how it should be it should overflow then to the nation and so israel would be praying for their king and lord help the king and lift up the king because if you do that you're helping our whole nation and our nation is the nation You've chosen right yeah we are your people you've loved us you've poured your grace out on us and so do this and and so again this is this is where some people would point to David uh, being the one here uh, writing this psalm as the anointed anointed one uh, but we know that this psalm also is messianic and so the anointed one uh, is, is jesus right he's he's called the the savior the messiah the one that has been chosen so he is the one that has been anointed and in the sermon i went to um when jesus and peter well jesus was talking with the disciples of, of who does everybody say that i am you know and they they said some things but then he asked that pointed question but what do you say you know you guys are the ones who've been with me what do what do you say and peter steps up right you are the christ you are the Messiah. You're the one. And, and Jesus doesn't say, hey, shh, be quiet, you know, which he did a lot of other times. <laughs> you don't need to heal people or even his own mother. Like, woman, it's not my time. He says, you're right, Peter, but you didn't come at this with your own wisdom. This has been given to you by God, right? Uh, and so that's reflecting back, maybe not specifically, but yes, the Psalm 84 here of look on the face of your anointed one. And so we look to Jesus, and as we read this psalm, we would think of of Christ. And again, one of the things I've tried to think about is going through these psalms, Christopher Ash points this out in his book, is that think about Christ singing these psalms mm. and what it then must have meant for him as he would sing this, right? And so when he's praying to the Lord God of hosts, his Father, right, look on the face of your anointed one, that's him, but knowing what that gaze is going to lead to it's going to lead to the cross it's going to lead to the wrath of god being poured out on him but it's so that he can be our anointed one that we that we needed Hmm. uh, who can then lead the people of god and then the blessings that flow on him just like the king right the blessings that flow on christ are extended to us through the blood of christ and he is a good king He doesn't hold it all for himself. We have that. We have this inheritance as as well. And so verse 8 and 9 is kind of strange, it seems here, but that's what it's pointing to is this anointing. and It makes it very uh, messianic in nature, this psalm here. Uh, As you get to verses 10 and 11, the psalmist kind of jumps back and, and says some interesting things. For a day in your courts is better than a thousand elsewhere. I would rather be a doorkeeper in the house of my God than dwell in the tents of wickedness. For the Lord God is a sun and shield. The Lord bestows favor and honor. No good thing does he withhold from those who walk uprightly. O Lord of hosts, blessed is the one who trusts in you. I brought this up. I don't know. Did you guys, well, you didn't grow up too much in church, Dave, Mm -hmm. right? Yeah. You did some, Scott. Kind of, a, yeah, little a little bit. bit. Had you heard this verse as a kid at all, um, where it says,
2: "I that, for a day in your courts is heard better than a that Song better is one yeah, day. Yeah, 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 yeah. I heard that song. Yeah, yeah. but I mean, I didn't know. that. I verse. hated that
0: song because I seriously was like, <laughs> "I don't think this is true." I mean, I knew it was a passage, a Bible passage, but I'm like, <laughs> "I don't want to spend a thousand days here in this worship service compared to one day out there, even one day out there." <laughs> mm-hmm. <laughs> that's how I would feel. Well, you My mean alone. you mean the reverse, right?
2: What? Never mind. Go ahead. No,
0: as we were singing that song, Better is One Day in Your Courts, I used to think I would rather be anywhere else right now Uh than here. (laughs)
1: Oh, wow. Yes. Mm, (laughs) Scott, that is your pastor. (laughs) Uh, Oh, wow. (laughs) Yeah. That is T. (laughs) Icoangeli. Mnbconline.com. How do you spell that? Yeah.
2: Yeah, Yeah, I mean, I. Because as a kid,
0: mm -hmm. I mean, let's be honest. As a kid or a teenager even sitting in church and you hear the pastor say this, you know, Better's one day here in the courts of God with the people of God than thousands elsewhere. You can't tell me there's not a kid like, what? Mm -hmm. I'd much rather be at the zoo Mm -hmm. or Cedar Point. Yeah. You know, or,
2: I mean, just go down the line
0: of these other things. Like, what are you, you
2: know? No, I mean, I I remember, I mean, I wasn't a, I don't think I was a believer at the time, but I mean, I, I hated going to church. I didn't like it at all. But I mean, I think, you know, looking back at that and looking at this verse, I mean, that's, that's the mindset of foolishness, because what you're, what I was doing at that point was thinking, yeah, there is somewhere better for me to be, or there's a better group of people that I would rather be around. Mm. And Scripture is very clear. I mean, the you know that's that's going after the things of the world and believing the lie of the world that there is something better out there, and you know it's it's not always easy to see, but like it's like after you know I guess water going under the bridge and the passage of time, you get to see the wisdom of that. That is a foolish thought to think that there's anywhere better for you to be. Um,
0: Yeah, and I think what leads to that, you know, what leads to that in my life now or then was— a consumer mentality. Yeah. yeah it's right. like there's much better things for me to consume of mm-hmm. than what I'm consuming of here. Mm-hmm.
2: That's how I would think about it, yeah. right? It's like this place isn't that fun. Yeah, which it was really providential that you brought that up in your sermon because that's that was exactly what our like our Wednesday night Bible study with the youth was. The previous mm-hmm. Wednesday was fighting against this consumer mentality mm-hmm. in church mm-hmm. and, and that you get with church, especially among young. Did you oh, say yeah. consumer mentality in that in that class? Like, was that the phrase that you it used? Was, it was, the phrase was consumer Christianity. Oh, okay. is what it was. I
0: asked my kids what you did, and Aubrey's like, consume something? And yeah. I was like, was it yeah. consumer mentality? And she's like, no, not yeah, it. No, it was I'm consumer like, are you sure? <laughs> yeah, okay. No, was, she was right on. She, she, okay, she got, got it. it. Yeah. She, she was right. All right, yeah. that's good. But yeah, right, yeah. and that's how... I mean, just that's how most people approach worship today, and by worship, I mean the corporate gathering on Sunday. Is is that is that in that sense? And sadly, a lot of churches have gone to the to that as well to say, "Well, let's give them stuff to consume. Yeah, let's make it as easy as possible uh, for them to find enjoyment here." And so you see things like Sunday night sur- or Saturday night services and and let's do an early Saturday morning one and then let's do this or this Sunday one and this Sunday one. And it's to for consumers. It's like, well, I know that they really want to consume the NFL, so let's make it easy for them to do that, but also to consume church. So let's have this Saturday service, mm-hmm. right? Or yeah. let's do this. Um, and that's just
1: one, well, one, thing. one there's other things one too. podcast you and I listen to often recently talked about there was a, a mega church sign that said they had a Saturday night service, and it was like talking it was like showing a picture of a kid like at his baseball game or something because it was saying we have Saturday night service yeah. so you don't miss the important things in life. Mm. yeah, baseball. Yeah. And so it's like, yeah. So what's the message, right? The fun things, the better things to do are to spend time with your family. So we'll we'll accommodate church so that way you can do the more important things. Yeah.
0: yeah, and so we just try to make it exciting yeah. a lot. Of, a lot of times we try to make church exciting. And I'm not saying our services should be boring, but what it is is then what is our focus? It seems in this psalm that the focus that's drawing that's drawing this psalmist to the temple is. God and who he is. And understanding God and who he is to the psalmist is beautiful. And it's so beautiful that he'd be willing to go through the Valley of Baca to get there, to be able to worship this God. And that's the beauty of it is the object of, of worship. Um, but instead, we tend to twist that in our own minds. When we come to worship service, we don't think of it that way we start to think of it as how much do I enjoy this? How much do I enjoy this pastor? Mm -hmm. You know, how much do I uh, enjoy the the music or how much am I enjoying the people who are around me? Do I find similarities? Do I think I could be comfortable here? How much, how many kid things do they have? You know, what do they have for their, for their youth? What are they offering? Mm -hmm. These are the things that people look at when they are looking at churches and different things. And again, I I'm not saying that's always a bad thing to to look at, but it becomes very consumer focused to where then it's easy for me to say, I don't want to be here than anywhere else, yeah, because the stuff they're giving me to consume just doesn't match what can be consumed out out there, mm-hmm. you know, and so it makes sense, and so we, I think we just have to be careful as parents, we have to be careful in our churches uh, to getting trapped in that way of thinking. In of of giving in always to the consumer mentality. Mm-hmm. Now, again, I'm all for air condition. I'm all for heat, which we'll need soon in this building. I'm all for some comfort, for sure. I'm all for singing songs that sound good, that aren't just, you know, yes, biblically true songs, most important, but also that sound good. I'm all for sermons that draw me in, a speaker that I'm interested in who I can understand, right? Who make who makes sense. I'm I'm all for all of that stuff. But what what makes it so beautiful needs to be who we are worshiping and his and his beauty. And that's what brings me in. You know, I think a lot about like a long time ago. I don't know how long this would have been. Maybe Spencer or Dave or somebody knows this, but a long time ago, I wouldn't have had a choice of churches. It would have been like, well, what church do you go to? Uh, I live in this town. I go to the church in this town. What are you mm-hmm. talking about? Mm-hmm. You know, and so consumerism couldn't really have been on the forefront of my mind. It was like, I, this is where I go. Well, what do you think of your pastor? Well, he's my pastor. Is he any good? I don't know. It's the only one I've ever had. I mean, I, right. sure. You know, I mean, those questions. I don't even know how much they would have, mm-hmm. they would have come up. But, but now times are just so different. Mm-hmm. In churches, they don't want to say this, but they compete highly against each other to try to get people in the doors. Oh, yeah. And it then leads to a struggle with this verse in our minds to wrap our heads. And I think I'm, I I want to stick on this so strongly because I struggled with that as a teen. I mean, really thinking like, if heaven is like this, I don't think it's that fun. So why, why go? I mean, I knew hell was really bad. And I'm like, okay, if I have to choose heaven or hell, I'm going to go to heaven. But it doesn't sound like I'm going to have much fun there. It mm. doesn't gonna sound like it's going to be that enjoyable because... What the church is giving me to consume, I'm not really that into. You know, I am I don't really like it that much. Mm. Uh, but that was a wrong way of viewing it, mm. right? And like, Scott, like you said, growing up and gaining wisdom, but not just because I've gotten older, gaining wisdom from the Word of God to start to see, oh, that's what church is about. Oh, God manifests himself there. Yeah, I mean, right? it's
2: specifically, I and what I was on, I was very honest with the teenagers on uh on Wednesday that they more than anybody else are tempted by the consumeristic mentality yeah. that you find in church because at the age that they are, literally everything in their life is about entertainment mm-hmm. and making something fun for them. Everything is catered towards that. You know, every even school or whatever. But once you know, what I told them is once you graduate high school and you're no longer part of a youth group the very first question you're going to ask yourself is what is there for me now? Yeah. What's there for me now? And that is the consumeristic question of what group is there? What Bible study is there? What is here to entertain me now to keep me here other than church? Mm -hmm. And they're, they're just littered with that and peppered with entertainment, um, trying to pull them in and their attention and, um,
0: and parents are susceptible to it too because i mean oh, i've sure. come across a lot of people that you talk to and you say you oh, know what church you go to oh we go to this church like well, what do you think about it we're not huge fans of it what they're teaching and yeah. stuff but they got a lot of stuff for the kids
2: and that's and, and it's really good yeah and you they know, it's like, parents yeah you're right parents will choose <laughs> oftentimes what church they go to based on they just want their kids to enjoy going to church right yeah and the problem is is that it's not just about do you enjoy going here? It's what are you learning here, Mm -hmm. right? And so you were talking about the competitive nature. It's like, to be honest, I mean, I think that we should rightly say that we have a competitive mindset of it too. Sure. In the sense that we don't, we're not competitive in the sense we're trying to come up with like the next best idea to draw in as many people as we can, but we're competitive in the sense that I don't, there are certain churches here in town I do not want people to go to. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Because I think it will lead you astray. Yeah. Um. And so I, I can only do so much to make it quote unquote interesting for you <laughs> and I'll do what I can, mm-hmm. but I'm, I care much more about you growing in a genuine faith in Christ. Sure. And, uh, you, I mean,
3: we're fighting against the world mm-hmm. yeah.
2: know, and doing that and that's, that's hard.
3: And, and really it's, it's a Western, um, issue struggle because like we have, Angie and I have a friend, uh, a Christian in Pakistan and she has to travel with her family four hours to church. And it's really challenging, and there's all sorts of, because of the you know Islamic stuff going on, and, and the spiritual darkness, it, it's very difficult, and and yet they long to go to church and be and hear God's word, and I'm I mean just thinking like wow, and we have all these options, it's like oh should we go to church today? Eh, you know, like you were saying about like uh you know Friday and Saturday I'm up, you know, like okay, I guess I'm awake now because you're used to getting up at a certain time or whatever. Sunday it's like oh you know, mm-hmm. r- rather just have, you know, bedside Baptist church service, you know, whatever. <laughs> and it's a struggle. But, and yet there's people in the world that are in difficult countries that will travel miles and miles for church, for God's word. And it's humbling. Yeah.
0: I mean, I'm, I'm not trying to rag on like church members. That's right. not my goal here because I think we all face this, but you just start seeing it. I, I remember when I was younger in life, Sundays really were set aside. Uh, for most families that I knew, Sundays were, you went to church in the morning, and then you probably hung out with family the rest of the day. <clears throat> but as I got older, it that started to shift. You know, it was like, yeah, we go to church, but then we do have sporting stuff to do, or right after church, our family's going to run to Cedar Point. You know, and we're going to go hang out at Cedar Point. And all of a sudden, the, you started to see more plans happening, or, or like uh, one thing I, or like, oh, we're going to have a baby shower on Sunday after church. You know, or we're gonna have this now, and now all of these things are getting stacked down. It's like, well, why don't you do that Saturday? Why is this not happening on Friday night? Well, those are my days. <laughs> it's like, or those are the days I have to get ready then for the party. So we'll put the we'll put this on Sunday. You know, and it's just like you said, there's not this longing. Mm-hmm. You know, I don't. When I was younger, was it just this longing to be in church? I don't know. It might have just been more societal. That's how it was, maybe. Uh, but
1: yeah. I, I I kind of wish it'd get back to that, to where... Well, I think what you're saying, though, is um, in the past, like I, I grew up probably similar to you, Tim, in the sense in which, yeah, Sundays were, I mean, this is what you did. Yeah. Sunday school, Sunday morning, Sunday evening. Yeah. What happened is, and, and at that time, um, society still, even in you know my childhood in the early, mid-90s, um, even at that time where I was at, society still like, for instance, sporting events would not generally be held on a Sunday. Right. Mm-hmm. Yeah. High so, school graduation wouldn't be on a Sunday. Right. Yeah, right. Yeah, I mean, like yeah. I'm saying overall, the culture was, was, um, still giving a general thumbs up to the church, mm-hmm, even mm-hmm. if they didn't go, but now we're faced with a different situation yeah, to where now we are having to make choices. And so, and sometimes that might be revealing of, and it forces us to ask questions of priorities that we always have had to face even in the past, but we're, but they're more in the forefront now mm-hmm. about, um, about where we will go, about where our loyalties lie, about whether we do think it's better to be in the Lord's house or in another place. Yeah, um, And what is our goal for church? Is our goal to be at church 75% of the Sundays? Mm-hmm. Like, Do you wake up every year and think, because I, I remember my dad one time talking to somebody. He said, I think I'm doing good if I'm here 75% of the time. And I don't know that that should be our goal. Mm-hmm. <laughs> like, is that, that's a pretty, I mean, low bar, mm-hmm. I think. Um, and I don't know that that should be your your standard. Um, I don't know. Just, just thinking, I think, and I know, but I think the consumer mentality is actually rooted even deeper in the idea of, and you see this in the ancient religions, of the idea that I can manipulate God. Mm-hmm. And that's what paganism was all about. You could go worship Baal because... Baal would let you do whatever, and you could go choose the different gods because they were okay with that because mm-hmm. they were poly. They they thought the Lord, yeah, of course, he's the God of Israel, but then there's the God of the Philistines, the God of all these. And so, in, uh, the fact that in the Old Testament God was saying, "Nope, you're going to worship and you're going to worship my way. Not you're going to. You don't get to choose your way. I'm going to tell you what's best for you." Um, and really, that that rubs us wrong today, and, and it expresses itself self today. Self. It expresses itself. Sale, sale. comes <laughs> at hometown. Go it Here it comes. <laughs> Come on, Andy. Um, Let's go to church. Uh, it expresses itself today in our capitalistic society as consumerism, but really it's part of that deeper seated instinct to manipulate God. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That's to good. control God mm-hmm. for mm-hmm. my ends. Yeah.
0: And again, again, we all struggle with that. You know, like this coming Wednesday, Scott's class is going to have nobody in it. They have open house at schools. They've chose Wednesdays for that for some reason. They used to tick me off when I was in your position. I'm like, why did they choose Wednesdays? It's summer. They could have chose any day of the week and they chose Wednesday. Where once before schools wouldn't do that. But like you said, now it's not even it's not even a thought. So just be me and the homeschool kids. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Uh but yeah. Anyways, well, Psalm eighty four was a is a good psalm. Uh hopefully it reminds us uh, to reflect on what's happening as we are gathering together in worship, that we are worshiping the beauty of God and who he is and what he has done for us. And we, like the psalmist, should long to be there, but we also should be thankful that I have never been in a position in my life where I've been held in captivity and couldn't gather with the church family. You know, and what a blessing that is of where we live. You know, I I don't live in Pakistan where I have to go four hours and risk my life. I live in a place where it's extremely easy to gather with the people of God and worship God, and uh, I don't want to take that for granted. I want to be thankful that uh, that's the situation that I'm in, but I want to take advantage of it as well, right? And and do it and be a part of it, and it's a blessing when we. And are. to whom
1: much is given, much yeah. is required, right? Yeah, you know, and that that applies to your devotion to the church. You know, we're going to be judged more harshly yeah. than the people in in Pakistan.
0: Yeah. Because yeah. of what you're just saying, mm-hmm. you know. Yeah, and again, I know that this can come off as, of course, you four pastors are saying this. The church is your life, mm-hmm. or whatever. You know, the church is this and pays you, and da da da. And I can't deny, yes, the church pays me. I I know this, uh, but I'm just trying to share what the Bible tells us about gathering together and the importance of it. There's a reason church exists and it's not because Tim created it. (laughs) It's because God created it Mm -hmm. and he set it in order. And so I think we need to honor that uh, and be thankful for that. All right. Well, uh, we talked a lot about worship today, but that's where we're headed for the next uh, good number of weeks, at least in the fall. We're going to be focusing on worship. What is it? Who do we worship? What does worship look like individually? What does it look like together, corporately. A lot of questions like that that we'll be answering over the next 10 to 12 weeks or so uh, as we gather together on Sunday morning. So uh, looking forward to studying that, looking forward to being part of that. I hope you will be there uh, as well. We look forward to seeing you on Sunday, Lord willing. Uh, But until then, we hope that you have a blessed week. God bless.